Welcome everyone to the House on Fire and Austin Oaks Church Parenting Podcast, where we talk about all things parenting for every phase. Our desire is to help you raise the next generation of believers. And today I got my buddy Gordon with us. Gordon, how you doing, man? Doing great, Lucas. Thanks for being here, bro. I appreciate it, man. My pleasure. Well, tell us a little bit about you and your family and you know how many kiddos you have and what phase of life you guys are in. Sure, yeah. Um, we are in our 50s and I uh, moved here in 1992. And uh, met my wife and married her uh, in 1996. So Malaka and I have been married for 24 years. And we have two um, nearly full-grown children. We've got a 17-year-old senior at Austin High named Asher and a 20-year-old junior in college at Samford University named Lisette. Awesome, man. So you guys are near the empty uh, nester phase of life. How's that feel? It feels great. It feels free. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and until all the grandkids start running around, and then you'll be in another crazy stage of life. Yeah. So. Uh, don't mistake me. I don't mean free. Especially. <laughs> As in financially. Expensive, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it... I'm not there yet, so I'll, I'll be curious to see what that phase of life is like, so... Well, great, man. Well, we're excited to have you guys, uh, you on the podcast today. And just, um, so you're a business owner. Mm -hmm. And so tell us a little about like your business name and kind of what you guys do specifically within your business and how you serve, uh, basically parents of kids or teenagers. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, own two locations of a franchise named great power learning, uh, one here in South Austin, one up at Cedar park. And, you know, the, my mission, um, is, to remove the obstacles um, that otherwise would impede a student or a child really from um, growing up and fulfilling the purposes that God had in making them. Hmm. And um, we find that a lot of students um, will limit their own uh, possibilities and opportunities out of either lack of confidence or fear or just general distaste for a specific subject. Um, and so, for example, you know, if a student who really feels called to be a veter- veterinarian um, avoids that um, in their life because they're afraid of the math, to me, mm-hmm. that's 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 a tragedy, and that's yeah. that's to me a product of of the broken world that we're in. For sure. So we really view our job as removing those obstacles. Definitely, definitely. And so, like, parents are going to contact you guys because they have a son or daughter and like what, what phase of life and, and for what specific needs? Sure. Yeah. Um, K through 12. Okay. And probably, I don't know, don't quote me on this, but probably about 70% of our students are, um, there because they've got some learning differences Okay, and about 30% don't and they're there for enrichment. So okay, uh, they just want to get better at a specific skill set, just to be better in terms of education and learning and growing. Yes, they may have a goal that uh, requires some sort of you know maybe advanced path. Okay, and so they want to enrich their skills, or maybe they're not being challenged um, enough at school, and they want just to to develop their independent thinking, their active thinking. Um, and then, and then that the majority of the kids have any variety of learning differences we really see at all. And so our job is to um, threefold, really. One, develop their cognitive abilities so that they can learn more efficiently. Yeah. Two, teach them some effective strategies that they can keep in their back pocket and pull mm-hmm. out in the classroom as they need them. And three, ensure that their reading, writing, and math skills are at grade level or, or exceeding. Yeah. 
And so you've had the company like fifteen years. Yes. And I mean, is it has it grown every year? I mean, are, I mean, there's, I mean, Austin's a pretty big place and lots of education options. And so, I mean, you guys stay pretty busy at helping serve families. Yes, we do. We've yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you've got two locations. Yeah. So I'm assuming you know the the first one started here in South Austin, Southwest Austin, mm-hmm. and then how long ago did did the one up north start? That we opened in two years, and that's still new, still still very small, still okay. still you know in the those that infant stage where it's it's trying to grow. Okay. Um. Yeah. But to your point, the South Austin location's pretty mature. Yeah. Um. We're pretty deeply rooted. Um, a lot of relationships with all the schools around Southwest Austin and the teachers and yeah. parents. And there's not other companies, at least in our area, that do what you do, correct? And what you guys do? You're correct. There are several options out there for cognitive therapy if um, your sole purpose is to develop your child's processing skills. And there are lots of options out there for tutoring, anywhere from just homework tutoring to, yeah. to just academic sort of drill repeat type mainstream tutoring for, for the academics. I don't know of, of any learning centers that even assess cognitive abilities, let alone develop them Yeah, in conjunction with the academics. For sure. And so how does like, I mean, do a majority of the folks just like Google I'm a learning center in Austin because my kid or my teenager has a learning disability or that I want to help them get better. Like how do people find you guys? And maybe some of it's that or maybe through the schools. Yes to both of those. Okay. Um, search um, professional referrals from um, teachers or psychologists. Okay. Um, and, and other parents refer. Okay. And I mean, like, what's, I'm just curious, like if I were to get a phone call from, from you know, my oldest is in kindergarten. So if the school were to call me and say, hey, Lucas, we see that Paisley may need, you know, some help in a, in a particular area due to whatever reason, I, I think I'd feel a little like, I don't know, like I've messed up as a parent. So like, what is the demeanor a lot of times with parents that are contacting you for help with their, their child or teenager? You know, that does run the gamut, um, you know, sort of a function of, um, how the parents probably view parenting. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'd say the most common response from parents is fairly, um, even keel, um, and objective. Okay. Probably the second most common reaction is one of maybe maybe mistrust mm. um, that this individual um, at the school maybe doesn't necessarily know what they're talking about or doesn't understand my child or has yeah. some, some sort of bias. Um, and so we often um, need to provide an objective perspective to those parents to For help sure. them um, really examine well, why did why did the teacher make this recommendation what what else have we seen is this consistent with some other signals that have been there yeah um and you know and what does it mean you know what what, what are the benefits and costs of of this recommendation for sure and you know so when they contact you to, you know i mean maybe covid stuff's different right now but is there normally like where they come in there's an assessment and you know like what's that that process look like from the moment that somebody contacts you yeah, we do a diagnostic assessment. Um, we uh, it contains a cognitive battery and an academic battery. Okay, and so we'd get a complete profile of that student as a learner. Okay, but also we'd know where their functioning levels are: reading, writing, spelling, and math. And then with that, um, we're able to put together a learning plan. Gotcha. And like, let's say that you you've kind of you've gone through those steps, you've put the plan together. 
how, I mean, it may be a hard question, but how long does the average person, the student or child stay with you guys in order to kind of accomplish what they, I mean, are we talking like a few months, six months, a couple of years? Yes. Again, and, knowing, uh, and knowing that everybody, you know, every person's created differently and wired differently and may need, you know, more help or less help. Just curious. Yeah. Um, early intervention is the easiest intervention. Okay. And so, and when um, you say early, we're talking like, like kindergarten through like elementary age is yep. kind of more ideal. The earlier, the better. Okay. The schools are doing a much, much better job of assessing, um, so that the parents are informed. So, um, whereas 15 years ago, um, I, I might have, it was pretty common to have some high school students with stories that weren't unlike yours where yeah. they were in high school, but they were significantly behind in one area or another. They didn't realize it and their parents didn't realize it because yeah. there was really no assessment. Yeah. And so there was no accountability. So along with state-based tests, which I, I could talk all day about state-based tests. I don't really know anybody that likes them, but the <laughs> sure. silver lining of that has been early detection Okay, because they're benchmarking these kids, you know, in September of kindergarten, they're taking the first benchmark yeah. assessment. And so the parents are aware. Okay. And if their child isn't tracking, um, and so they can do something about it. So the earlier intervention is the easiest intervention. Gotcha. And I forgot what you were asking me. Uh, just like, <laughs> do people stay, you know, uh, yeah. like, is it like an average of six months or a couple of years? Yeah. So the earlier you intervene, the sooner you, you know, achieve the results that you need. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've got kids anywhere from a few months to a few years and okay. anything in between. Okay. A lot also depends on the nature of, um, their learning differences hmm. um, and the subject matter. Okay. Yeah. I mean, there's so many factors yeah. I would think that would go into this and yeah. And you referenced, we were talking earlier before we started the podcast. Like, so I graduated high school with maybe a fifth grade reading level and I, you know, just, I struggled reading my whole life, uh, kind of found out in college a little bit, I had dyslexia, at least they think I did and never really got help for it. But, but it was, reading was a struggle and taking tests was, uh, I, I mean, even, even now in grad school, taking tests are really hard. I'm grateful that the grad school level is mostly tons of reading and tons of papers. And I don't really have that many tests, but, um, cause I remember taking the ACT in, uh, high school and I, uh, can proudly say that I got a 14 and then I was <laughs> like, I need to do better. So I took it again and got a 15 and I'm like, well, if I got to take this mug 30 more times, I'm going to get there. Third time I took it, I got a 14 and said, well, this is as good as it gets for me. So <laughs> by the grace of God, I still got it in the school and all that. But, uh, yeah, I did not get any help and I don't, re I don't recall any testing of any sort. Like, no, I mean, I, I was in special ed to some extent in high school. Um, I don't recall that ever being helpful. I just recall it mm -hmm. them giving me multiple choice answers instead of like fill in the blank. Oh. Um, now granted it could, it could have been better than I remember it, but I don't recall it actually being that beneficial and all that. So yeah. So I kind of fell through the cracks, I guess, in the system. And, and when you say that like the state testing, are we talking like because, I, I mean, if you homeschool, that's not an option, I guess. Like, you don't you know, have a school that's going to test. But for private um, and charter schools and, and public education, they all do these tests to help 
at least just to make sure the progression of the student or the child is progressing the way they they they, they should be correct all public and charter are okay. subject to the, okay. the TEA standards and gotcha. okay. the STAR test. Uh, and private schools are not. However, most private schools do administer some kind of a standardized test for, for sure for the reason you just gave. Yeah. Okay. And I, I mean, I guess I mean I, we have a lot of homeschool families at, at our church, and I guess if they saw a need, like where would they go? Would they come to like a place like you? To like, if they're like, you know, we just want to see the progression of where our child is or our, our student is because they're, you know, they don't have a school that's going to give that test. Mm-hmm. Would they have an option or no? I mean, you may not even know that, but there, there are options. Um, we've had a number of folks over the years call and ask if we would just administer just like the academic piece okay. just to do an inf- informal inventory of basic skills. Okay. Um, so that they know at least just grade level wise you know, yeah. where their children are functioning. Parents also, though, individually, um, can um, access uh, other national standardized tests. Okay, I don't know the details of how they go about doing that, sure. or, or how it needs to be proctored in order to ensure the standardization. Yeah, but I know that uh, I've known some families that have done that. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean, you guys have got a niche, and there's a specialty aspect of what you guys do. And so, I mean, what would be some just general needs that you see in the lives of children? And the teenagers that you get, I mean, is it primarily reading? Um, is it just like they need more social skills? Like kind of just what are, what are the just, you know, the broad perspective of needs that you guys see with those that you serve in their families? Yeah, that is a, a broad stroke question. I think um, the, the probably the, the biggest um, gap in what, the um, school system can provide is individualization because hmm. it's not, it's really not the purpose of say public schools. Yeah. It's mass education. Yeah. And so we oftentimes will um, maybe place unrealistic expectations on how much individualization my child really can hmm. get and can realistically expect yeah. on a day in and day out basis. Um, from this teacher who has anywhere from, you know, 20 to possibly, you know, middle school and high school, more than 30 other students. Well, middle school and high school, they might have 150 students. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so as our child's number one advocate, um, we're going to seek these things. Mm. Um, but sometimes we, um, hope against hope that the schools will be able to do some of these things that, um, really there aren't any mechanisms in place for them to consistently provide. Yeah. And so um, I think that's where some of the um, complaints that I hear among parents regarding like the public school system in particular come from. And and really the root of that is um, just unmet expectations, Hmm. even though oftentimes those expectations may not have necessarily been realistic when you really boil it down yeah for sure yeah no yeah and i mean i mean i've remember the first time my a parent told me that you know they're they're they had like three students and they were all like like one was in public one was in private and one was like in homeschool and i was like man that's i'm like okay like tell me why that's interesting and and they basically said they're like they're they're all three so different which obviously makes sense but but they all three needed different they had different needs and so as you're saying that, it makes me think like, man, especially as a parent, I need to make sure that I don't just assume that, you know, my second child is going to 
have the same needs as my first child or even the third that we're having, like they're all different. And so I need to make sure that I give them the specific needs that they each need, which requires me to show up and <laughs> to know them, you know, and to be present and to yes. be present and, and all of those things. So yeah, that's really good. And I mean, I don't at all hear you like bashing the, the public school system, I, you know, no. like we're not doing that or whatever, but I mean, there's some pros and cons to every aspect of, I guess, education and what students get. And some students, you know, I know that they, they have a lot of social anxiety and they really, really struggle being in a classroom with anybody else, but they thrive at home. And so parents have made the decision, Hey, we're going to be at home for this particular, you know, teenager, because it's, it's what they specifically need. And so, yeah, that, that's really good. So, um, I was just going to say that I was going to really compliment you for for having an important insight about your children that not every education solution is appropriate for everyone. Yeah. And to have the courage to um, make that selection. Yeah. And I can speak from my own experience um, where we have our, had our daughter in a small university model private environment and my son went public. Yeah. Um, and they both, you know, wouldn't have it, have had it any other way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, it, I think it's good for parents to know, like, there's not like, not one way is better than, than the other. I, you know, I guess if the goal is to help, you know, our sons and daughters to, to know the basic things of, of, you know, mathematics and all these things that they're going to need, you know, for life and all, I mean, the route to get there, it doesn't really matter. Well, I think, yeah, I think in the, you know, from the Christian perspective, um, God, God will utilize whatever learning environment our children are in for yeah. Him to draw draw that child to Him and to develop them in exactly the way God sees fit for them. Absolutely. That said, you know, as as Christian parents, you know, a really important part of our role is to um, really examine and pray and talk about how God has wired this child. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and try as best as we can with the information that we have and the leading of the Holy Spirit to to um, foster them down that whatever path it is that we feel God is is drawing them. Yeah, amen. I love it. W- would there be any other like resources that you would would want to encourage parents to seek out just you know under the umbrella of just education needs or cognitive needs? Are you aware of any other things that, that parents should be aware of. I mean, obviously if they're in public school or, you know, hey, you know, talk with your school, there may be some state testing or, you know, if, if you feel that need, but any other just general thoughts or, or resources that you think would be helpful? Well, um, if somebody, if, if, if a student is in the public school system, um, there are quite a number of resources available for evaluation. Yeah. Um, as well as accommodations and services that can be provided if your child is is eligible and is a fit for that. Yeah. And so never hesitate to reach out to the teacher or yeah. a counselor or, or an administrator um, because the resources are there. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good to know. Um, which, you know, again, my oldest is only in kindergarten. So these are things that I, you know, I'm, I'm learning along the way. And so, um, so obviously, you know, as, as of right now, we're recording this on December 16th. And so COVID so pretty rampant, rampant actually yesterday, I think was the highest, um, positive test day for COVID in like the last six months here in Texas and stuff. And so, so it's still, you know, going pretty rampant and lots of people have opted to stay home for education. Have you seen any, 
like any other issues or needs that have come up? Like, has this hindered a lot of students because they're at home? I mean, obviously you guys have a very specialized group of people that you work with, but um, so what has that kind of been like, you know, serving families, you know, children and teenagers with cognitive needs now that I don't know if you're able to even see them face to face right now? Wow, that's that's a big question. One of the things I've been most surprised by, not just professionally, but just personally too, with all yeah. of the people that I know, is the vast um, variety of um, implications that that remote learning has caused people, mm. and you really see so many um, different reactions to it. Yeah, um, I think. Um, one of the one of the most beneficial uh, outcomes of this unprecedented challenge, yeah. let's call it, is that the parents have been able to see their child in action. Hmm. Absolutely, I'm talking about the remote learners. So they get to see what is has probably always been going on in class. Hmm. Pro or con. Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> uh, but that they just, you know, were blind to or not, not really. No, they weren't blind to it. They were flat out unaware. Yeah. And they get to see it with their own two eyes. And I think the benefit is that they can, if it is a need uh, that they're w- witnessing here, they can then do something about it. Yeah, absolutely. That they otherwise might not have known mm. at all. Um, so, and, and so I've seen, Students have affected positively and negatively from the remote learning. For sure, if you know, it's impossible really to make generalizations because it is affecting so many people in so many different ways. Yes. However, I will. I think age matters. Mm. And when you say that, what do you mean? Like it's like it's harder for like high schooler students, or and easier for for like elementary. Like, what do you mean when you say that? I'd say the other way around. Okay. Uh, it seems that, and it's probably it comes down to just developmental appropriateness. Hmm. middle school and up tend to be able to sustain their attention through the synchronized sessions a bit better. Um, And the younger you get, the more challenging it is to stay engaged Hmm. for the length of time, but also just through the medium, you know, through the, through the computer screen. Yeah. Um, So for example, many high school students are really preferring the remote learning. Hmm. Not from a socialization standpoint. For sure, yeah. Just from the classroom standpoint. Yeah. Um, whereas uh, the younger you get, the harder and harder the it is. And yeah. the more and more, obviously, of the parents' time it requires who are oh, working yes. remotely. Yeah. Um, and so it's just uh, very, very, very challenging for those lower elementary ages like kinder through third. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen that in our household, you know, again, our oldest Paisley, she's five, she's in, in kindergarten this year and the first three weeks were online. And so, you know, it's my, my wife is sitting down and my, my daughter does not know how to use a computer or zoom or any of that. And, you know, I don't even know, I don't even know what, what system they logged in, you know? And so there, and there wasn't a lot of it. It was maybe like 35 minutes, you know, that was on zoom, but then there was my wife sitting down and, and we kind of homeschooled her pre-K. And so my wife had already done some of that, but they're, the only way that our daughter in kindergarten could get anything done was my wife was sitting there and, you know, we've got our three-year-old running around and he's, you know, bouncing off the walls and all that. And so it, yeah, it's, um, I'm just grateful that our Elm Grove elementary is, has opened up. So basically can go there. And so, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, what wisdom or advice would you give parents, 
um, you know, under the umbrella here of just a conversation of just education needs for their sons and daughters, or even maybe some fears, you know, I, for me, having such a skewed perspective of growing up and, and not being, I'm not very good education wise. I don't have a great, I have a high IQ. I've always struggled with reading, always struggled with tests. So for me, education is still a value, but, but I, but to me, it's not like the, the highest value that I have for my, mm-hmm. for my family or, or my kids. It's still there. But um, so what, what would be some wisdom just that you would share with parents in terms of education and maybe some, some cognitive needs that their sons and daughters may have? Well, you know, I believe that probably the greatest tool for empowerment that, that we have you know, as humans here on this earth within our power is education. Mm. And that starts with developing independent thinkers Mm. who um, have, have the capability of critically thinking for themselves. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I don't want to get into this whole mess of what we've just came through with what's going on in social media in reaction to like, for example, the campaigns and the elections and stuff. But yeah, you can see the need for independent thinking and you can see the need for critical thinking. And, um, I think that if you see that your child is struggling with really understanding concepts and really deeply thinking about concepts, Mm. that, um, those skills can be developed just like academic skills can be developed. Yeah. And that you do have, more control than you might think uh, as far as giving them tools and, and um, providing them ways to develop those abilities. For sure. And, you know, what wisdom would you give to a parent that they just found out their son or daughter needs some additional assistance and some help education-wise or cognitive-wise? And so um, what, what would you specifically say to that parent um, that may be a little fearful, that may be like, oh, man, like, have I failed? Have I, what have I done wrong? Like, what wisdom would you, would you share with them? Well, first and foremost, doesn't have anything to do with you having failed. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, you, you didn't like develop your son or daughter's brain. Like, I mean, like, yeah. And it's really difficult to know um, what cognitive abilities are the result of you know nature or nurture. So, yeah. um, you, you could drive yourself crazy and you guilt yourself into paralysis by yeah. taking the blame. Mm-hmm. The important thing is moving forward, you can do something. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's good. That's good. Well, Gordon, I appreciate you, man, and your wisdom. And and so uh, just so anybody listening that wants to find out about your company and and all the services you guys provide, I'm assuming there's a website you want to share that with us? Yeah, and great tools and resources uh, also. Um, if you think your child has some learning differences, there's some um, some articles available on the website, and it's gradepowerlearning.com. Okay, awesome. And we'll put that down in the show notes so folks can just click on that and can just access that. And And so appreciate you sharing your wisdom. And before I let you go, I have one last question. Um, sure. You know, being in the education world and helping, you know, people develop to learn better, like what is the balance of, of growing that, you know, to be able to be a better learner, to understand things better and also not allowing it to be an idol. And, you know, we were talking a little bit earlier before we started, just, I mean, educate, you know, it's, it's hard for, I feel like parents to not let their sons and daughters become idols. And, you know, our world is, 
in a sense, wrapped around their needs, and it should be to an extent. And so, you know, is there a balance there? Or, or like, what is that, you know, what's your thoughts on that when it comes to not get, giving your child the education resources that they need to thrive, but also not letting that be the idol in their life to where they, this is all they do and they're just consumed with it. Wait, I know it's a, I know it's a loaded, I feel like education in and of itself, anything under that topic is loaded, but cause I mean, I've seen, you know, been a student pastor for 10 years and I've seen families like not care at all. And I'm like, man, I don't even know if their son or daughter can, can read like, like how I, you know, where I was. And I've seen the other side where, where parents like, this is all that their son or daughter does. Like, I'm like, I don't, how do they have time to go to the bathroom? Like, this is all they do is school or education related things. And those are both extremes, of course. And, you know, you can be anywhere in between that, but we just love to just to know your thoughts on that. Sure. I think if, um, there's a balance, right? Yeah. Um, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where you can, you control what you can control, um, you know, as, as a Christian and as a steward, we're also stewards of our child's pathway. Yeah. Yielding to God, hmm. always knowing that God's the one that's in control. And so I think the two red flags as a parent, when it comes to your child's education is if you find yourself feeling tied up in knots with anxiety, hmm. you may be making an idol out of parenting or out yeah. of the education. Maybe you may be trying to micromanage areas that maybe would be better entrusted to God. Mm, that's a good way to so put you, it. You take action and you are aware and you are sober minded and purposeful. Mm. Uh, but it, when you start to feel yourself balling up into knots, that's, that's probably the enemy or the world trying to, to take you down. Yeah. Then the opposite end of the spectrum is still rooted in the same issue. And that is denial. Mm. Um, I, I, I've seen some parents take things personally that aren't personal yeah, and not wanting to be open and receptive that their child is struggling in this certain area. Yeah. And so if you see yourself putting up a wall of denial, especially if you're being given this feedback from maybe more than one source, yeah. That's probably another red flag hmm. that you've made, that you're making parenting an, an idol. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Well, Gordon, I appreciate you sharing your wisdom, man. And um, yeah, and thanks for joining us today on the House on Fire podcast. Please share this so others can be blessed by the conversation we had today. And we will see you all next time.